Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikova. With me is Benjamin Solak. Getting close to the very end here of our guest mock draft series on today's episode for the Baltimore Ravens, we have Jeff Zerebic, and for the New Orleans Saints, we have Catherine Terrell. Man, I'm excited about these guests. Their board is very, very interesting. I think it will be somewhat similar to the board that we're going to see for them on draft night. So we're going to get a really good look, and we're going to hear from some, from some people who cover the team very closely as to who these teams might pick. As for what the board is right now, on the last episode, Ben so beautifully uh, rattled off who has already been picked, but I'll take back over the reins. We'll probably give Ben another one later before the series is over because he did such a great job with it, but I'll give him the break here. I'll recap the board. Number one overall, of course, it was Trevor Lawrence going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number two it was Zach Wilson to the Jets. Number three, Justin Fields to the 49ers. Number four, Trey Lance to the Atlanta Falcons. Five, Jamar Chase to the Cincinnati Bengals. Six, Kyle Pitts to the Miami Dolphins. Seven, it was Jalen Waddell to the Detroit Lions. Eight, Carolina Panthers. They went Pan A. Sewell. Nine, Denver Broncos, Wusu Koromoa. Ten, Dallas Cowboys, Patrick Sertan. Eleven, New York Giants, Rayshon Slater. Twelve, Philadelphia Eagles, Devontae Smith. Thirteen, Los Angeles Chargers, Christian Derrissaw. Fourteen, Minnesota Vikings went Quiddy Pay. Fifteen, the New England Patriots went with J.C. Horn. 16, Cardinals took Caleb Farley. 17, the Raiders took Micah Parsons. 18, Miami Dolphins, Aziz Ojolari. 19, Washington football team went Zayvon Collins. 20, the Chicago Bears took the bait on Mac Jones. 21, Indianapolis Colts, Jalen Phillips. 22, Tennessee Titans, Elijah Moore. 23, the Jets went Elijah Vera Tucker. 24, Pittsburgh Steelers, Najee Harris. 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars took Christian Barmore. And then 26, Greg Newsom to the Cleveland Browns. That brings us to pick number 27 to 28. Ben, I feel like the Ravens and the Saints. I'll throw the Packers in there too because they're then they're, they're then at the end of the draft. They're one nope, more. They're at 29. Not in this episode. Don't well, matter. I just, I'm just going to say it's somewhat difficult to pick for these teams because they have pretty good rosters and they also have coaches that seem to get pretty aggressive one way or the other when it comes to these picks. So it's not like we have a streamlined, yep, they're totally going to target this guy. That's why I feel like we're going to have two really interesting conversations here on this episode. Absolutely. When you start to, when we start to get to the end, the questions shift from, Hey, here's seven different positions that can use help to be like, Hey, like seems pretty good. Why are they good? What are they doing? Right. Uh, what else are they going to do? Also, do you want to make a pick Um, which like, you know, there's, there's <laughs> needs on the saints, there's needs on the Ravens. Um, But whenever we get to the bottom of this exercise, it always ends up being higher level conversations about philosophy and approaches as opposed to like, all right, Every position's bad. Who are they going to address? Yeah, Ravens coming off a year where they played so well in 2019, and it was a little bit of a step back last year, and then a totally new landscape and outlook for the Saints. So on to pick number 27 here. It is the Baltimore Ravens here to help us understand everything going on in Baltimore with who the Ravens might draft, what they believe in their roster right now. We have Jeff Zarebic, who covers this team for The Athletic. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So the Ravens last year, 
they win double digit games. They get into mm-hmm. the playoffs. They go eleven and five. But it was a step back from the incredible season that was twenty nineteen, winning fourteen games. Lamar's the MVP. They look absolutely unbeatable. They fall a little flat in the playoffs, and they didn't get as far as they wanted to. No doubt about it. But when you watch this team with all of the context of the guys that were there, maybe some bad luck, some injuries, just everything that happened. Was 2020 a step back for them to the point where 2019 almost looks like fool's gold? Or do you think that this team can get back to being truly one of the best in the AFC, competing for AFC titles, and even a Super Bowl run as soon as this year? You know, it's a good question. I don't necessarily think it was a step back per se because... Um, you know, they did win a playoff game, which they hadn't done since 2014, and they didn't even do during their 14 and two season. And I think everyone in 2019 knew that that was kind of up until the, uh, you know, the playoff loss against Tennessee, that was kind of a Cinderella season, you know, they didn't really have many injuries and everything went right for them. Um, nobody had really ever seen that offense and, and the guy who was running it uh, like he was in Lamar Jackson. So I, I think heading into 2020, you knew it was going to be much tougher. Teams were going to be much more prepared for them. Um, and you also knew that, uh, you know, they weren't going to be as healthy as they were the year earlier. You know, that's it's it's you know, yeah, there's certain things you could do about injury prevention, but you're going to get hit. That's the bottom line. And if you have a really healthy year, you have to expect you're going to get hit soon. And, you know, obviously they lost their starting, uh, you know, they're all pro left tackle and they're blocking tight end who's critical and, and a couple other guys, you know, were in and out. So, uh, you know, in that percent, it wasn't a step back, but yeah, I, I mean, you're at the point where this team needs to be measured in the playoffs, you know, 11 wins is great. 14, even better. Uh, but they need to make a playoff run. And, uh, you know, this is three straight, uh, you know, relatively brief playoff appearances. They did win one this last year. So uh, they need to get to that AFC championship game and and see what they can do from there. Uh, And, and, you know, I think we're at that time. Anything short of that is going to have to be considered a disappointment. So I'm curious then to get to the playoffs and to win in the playoffs, to make a playoff run, What's the biggest hurdle? Because I think every year we hear uh, Lamar is going to fade in the playoffs. Lamar, if he gets put behind, right, they're going to play a good team and they're going to get in a score deficit and they can't throw the ball. So is it improving this wide receiver core, which they've they've invested first-round picks, they've invested day-two picks in, but they can't seem to get a hit on a player? Is it uh, improving a little bit of your interior offensive line and just getting healthier there, being able to pass protect better in your drop back? Is it Greg Roman and and figuring out a better passing game, or is it just Lamar and his struggles through uh, his first two seasons as a a traditional drop-back passer? If, If it is that passing game, what particularly do you think needs to be changed or improved to get them over the hump? Yeah, I'm not taking the easy way out, but really, I, I think it's kind of a little of everything. Right, so, it always is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I start off with the offensive line. I, I really do. I mean, um, you go back all three playoff losses, Chargers, Titans, and Bills, and their offensive line was dominated. They were just whipped in the trenches. I, I mean, I don't know why it happened because the offensive line has been 
Uh, it was really good in 2019. Last year was a bit of a struggle. Uh, but this is three years in a row now where their offensive line has just been totally overwhelmed in the playoffs. So, you know, you have Zeitler now. I think you add one more piece there in the draft at some point. Um, you know, they're still looking at some veteran tackles. So uh, we'll see about Orlando Brown. But that's where it starts. But, you know, everything else I think has to, you know, has to improve uh, to avoid these uh, quick playoff ousters. You know, there's no question Lamar Jackson has not played that well in the playoffs. I, I mean, you know, we, we saw him lead the league in touchdown passes two years ago. Um, we saw him, you know, do really well from the pocket. We know he can do it. He's shown that. It's just when the chips are down and teams are committed to keeping him in the pocket, uh, I think he needs to play better, see the field better. I think that's all a, a consideration. I think he's gotten a little anxious in the playoffs, trying to do too much uh, and, and not kind of sticking with the stuff that got them to that point. Um, and then, you know, much has been made of, uh, you know, the receiver group. It's not a very good group. It's significantly below average. Uh, you can make the case it may be the worst in the league right now. Um, I don't think they need a especially good receiver group to win with the type of offense they're playing. Uh, they're, you know, they've arguably one of the best running back tandems in the league. They've one of the best tight end tandems in the league. Um, so there's weapons there, uh, but they could use a little bit of an upgrade uh, at, at receiver, obviously. And then there's the, you know, the Greg Roman factor, you know, he just has not been, uh, you know, he's just had a hard time marrying the running game and the passing game. The running game has been brilliant. His schemes are brilliant. Uh, but they need him to make some strides in, in the development and execution of the passing game. When you mentioned that they do probably need to get a little bit better at the receiver room, of course, they yeah, I'm, I'm with you. They don't need a, you know, like a top 10 pick at wide receiver or it's not going to work or anything like that. But what type of receiver do you think they need? Because we've seen over the last two years, especially when it comes to the NFL draft, yeah, you've got your guys that you could draft in the top 20 that are just playing stud wide receivers. But as the draft goes on, round two, round three, round four, there's a lot of types of players that might not be all around beasts at wide receiver, but there's a type that you might be able to get to really round out your receiver room. So is there a type of wide receiver that you could see the Ravens adding or one that they need the most? I think that's a great question. You know, and I mean, you look at what they have, you know, they have speed, you know, with Marquise Brown and Devin Duvernay, um, you know, but they're also small. They're really small at the receiver position. I mean, Watkins is certainly uh, not as small as those other guys, but uh, he's not what you'd call a big physical receiver. I, I think they kind of need that big, you know, alpha male, uh, that guy that can make tough catches and, and outdo cornerbacks for balls and be a red zone and third down threat. Uh, and, and make his presence known in the intermediate areas to take some pressure off Mark Andrews, who everyone knows, you know, Lamar's looking for when he throws in those areas. So, yeah, it, it's that big physical, you know, receiver um, that the, it doesn't have to be necessarily a burner. Obviously, the you know, the, the faster, the better. But, you know, just just the guy that they could kind of rely on to make tough and contested, contested catches and to make some plays, you know. They kind of drafted Miles Boykin to be that guy, but you know, right. Miles Boykin is is been terrific for them as a blocker. I know that's not what you're looking for, but when you are running the ball 65, 70% of the time, that matters, but he just hasn't taken a step forward as a pass catcher. They need that big physical presence in the intermediate areas to start making some consistent plays. 
uh, I'm looking here at the edge room now because obviously Baltimore, yeah. they, they make the midseason acquisition of Unique Ngakwe. He leaves. Uh, you had big money from Matt Juden in New England, so now he's out. Tyus Bowser, who they've developed in-house, uh, and then, of course, Pernell McPhee has been around for a while. Uh, you're Now you're looking at your starting edges, Jalen Ferguson, who they drafted a couple years ago, still in the building. They love to blitz. They love to get multiple guys who can stand up, who can, who can rush the quarterback, and they can drop into coverage. They've typically enjoyed under Wink Martindale a deep edge room. Now it, it they've got starting caliber players, but it does look a little bit thin. So I, I'm curious, are they... Do you think they're going to try to roll with Bowser and McPhee as the starters and, and, and take more traditional stat distributions? Or should we expect them to go decently early for another one of these stand-up edge rushers to add to this room to continue this process of development and to keep everybody's snap counts pretty even? Yeah, it's it's the thinnest position on the roster. I mean, it's even thinner than wide receiver. I think they're mm-hmm. returners at that position – um, you know, there's two undrafted guys too. You throw into the, them into the mix, and I think they returned seven total sacks from their edge rushers group, and and that's not going to cut it. Um, but we do, we know they blitz, they blitz a lot, and it seems, you know, uh, a little bit in recent years they've sort of de-emphasized the position a little bit. I mean, right. the Ravens have always had that dynamic edge rusher. But they really haven't had that guy necessarily. They tried with Ngakwe. It wasn't really a good scheme fit. Um, you know, I think they would like that guy, but I also think they're, they've clearly let everybody know where they stand in the old pass rush versus pass coverage debate. I mean, they're loading up on cornerbacks, they're paying their cornerbacks, and they just haven't spent a whole lot of money on pass rushers, uh, edge rushers specifically. But yeah, they're definitely in that market. And, and I think they're going to double down, you know, and I'm not just saying double down in the draft. I think they're going to get one. I think 27 is a potential spot for one. Uh, but either way, I would be very surprised if day two goes by the draft without them getting an edge rusher. I know they like a bunch of those guys. Uh, they've done a lot of work on those guys. Uh, but another date, the Monday after the draft, and uh, you know, it's always a big day for Ravens reporters because the Ravens care about this comp pick formula more than any other team in the league. So uh, starting on uh, May 3rd, they could sign other players without them, you know, factoring in that comp pick formula. Right. Uh, I think Justin Houston, if he's still available, they've already visited with him, will be an option. You know, you still have Kerrigan out there and Olivier Vernon's out there and Everson Griffin, you know. So I think what you'll see is them draft at least one edge and then maybe take a shot at a veteran. Uh, but, yeah, I think it'll be heavy uh, pass rush, edge rush by committee with them, of course, using a couple of guys they have, like McPhee, to move inside on pass downs. Last question for me here. I, w- I want to talk about the secondary a little bit more. You mentioned the emphasis that they've had on the cornerback room, but at safety, this was a team that two years ago spent really big money on Earl Thomas. And, mm-hmm. you know, last year late August gets into the altercation with Chuck Clark. And then, you know, he, he ends up getting released from the team. And so they, they certainly moved on from him last year, but that was only a year ago. And, and it seems like they really wanted a guy of Earl Thomas's caliber as a safety a couple years back via all the money they gave him. So my question is, are they currently happy with the safety room? Because this is the first time that they've really been able to, change things around because you really can in late August. I mean, the season's basically here. You basically have who you have. And so do they still have that desire to get a different type of safety or are they happy with the guys now, even with Earl Thomas gone? I think 
Um, twofold. I think, yes. Um, the first, the first part about it is, you know, they were pretty satisfied with the way Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott played last year. Elliott got put in a tough spot. He had barely played his first two years because of injuries. Then all of a sudden, right. you know, a month before the season, or it may have been shorter than that, he's he's all of a sudden the starter. So he had to come along quickly. It's a very, uh, you know, uh, complicated defense. There's a lot on the safeties in, in terms of disguise and all that. So uh, he played pretty well. Clark is a signal caller of their defense. Uh, he, he means, you know, he means a good bit to that group. Solid player. The issue there is there's really no dynamic rangy guy with ball skills. Neither of them are, are strong in coverage. Um, they're both a little similar in terms of their strengths. Um, and, you know, one, they need depth there behind those guys. I mean, they were playing with fire all last year. They really didn't have a, a number three safety that they really trusted. So depth is one. And two, if they could find a guy uh as you know as i discussed that that you know that ball hawk guy that center field type um you know that you know the best ravens defenses have kind of had in mm -hmm. the past yep. they don't have that guy and um you know i think in this draft uh if they're going to want to add a safety and if that type of player is early, you know is available it wouldn't surprise me if they pull the trigger i think you know wink martindale uses his personnel a lot he loves running out dbs out there moving their safety up towards the line of scrimmage another safety would give them so much versatility and so many more options uh in, in their defensive play calls all right. Well, we've got the whole safety board available for you. We got a decent amount of edges up there as well. Wide receivers still in play. So the Ravens here are in a pretty strong spot at 27, at least options wise. Uh, Jeff, if you were calling the shots, if you had the, uh, the controls for the Ravens, who would be your selection at 27 and why? I'd go with TCU safety, Trevon Morig. Yeah. All right. There we go. You know, it's not going to be a popular pick among the fan base. They're obsessed with getting either Marshall or Bateman, the two receivers. I just don't see them use their receivers utilized enough to sink another first round pick in him. And I also think, you know, it's a deep receiver class. So I think you could get a guy in second, third or third round there. Um, and this is a quintessential best player available pick. Um, you know, Morig will help them immediately. He's kind of, you know, I, I discussed that alpha male earlier. He has that sort of attitude. He'll come forward and hit you. He, he's good in coverage. I think he's seven interceptions the past two years. I think they'd find a spot for him immediately. He also loves special teams, which makes him a big hit immediately in Ravens because we know right. what, what that means. So uh, to me, it just checks an awful lot of boxes for them. And to be able to sit there at 27 and get the guy many people, many of the pundits perceive as the best player, uh, best safety, excuse me, available, uh, I think that would be a successful day one for the Ravens. Ben and I love Mary. We think that he is awesome. And so, Ben, what do you, I mean, what do you think about the landing spot here Full back sense. in the first round? Absolutely, yeah, because he can play deep middle for you if you want to take the snaps away from Deshaun Elliott. Yep. He's big enough to come down and play the box if you want to run him with Chuck Clark. Uh, he's, he's everything the Ravens want in a bag of chips. I love it. I totally agree with you. Jeff Zerebic, follow all of his work at Jeff Zerebic on Twitter. He does a fantastic job covering this Baltimore Ravens team inside and out. As we figure out, hey, are they going to take the next step and really become that AFC Championship game contenders, maybe Super Bowl contenders, or they still have some work to do? Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on this guest mock draft. I really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, so there we go. Our favorite safety in the class, Trayvon Mary, going off the board at number 27 to the Baltimore Ravens. We got pick number 28. Catherine Terrell is here with us with the Athletic New Orleans. First selection coming up right after the break.
RockAuto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts to customers online for over 20 years, people. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. The best of all, their catalog, it's super easy to, to navigate, remarkably easy. You can go to the left-hand side of their page, and, and you could just you could immediately find all of the parts you're looking for for your exact vehicle to see if they have it in stock. And if they don't, you can hit them up. Their customer service is fantastic as well. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts that they have available for your car or truck, and write Locked On NFL Draft in their little How Did You Hear About Us section so they know that we sent you that way. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the car parts you will ever need over at rockauto.com. This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network, that's us, to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from the Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft April 29th through May 1st. And this brings us to pick number 28. It is the New Orleans Saints. It is a team that has been a prominent one in the playoffs over the last couple of years, but big changes this offseason. I feel like as we go through so many different mock drafts, anytime you get to the New Orleans Saints, everything is on the table. You just don't know what's going to happen. So to help us understand what might actually happen with the New Orleans Saints, we have Catherine Terrell here from the Athletic New Orleans. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, hey, happy to be on. I'm just excited that we are finally getting close to the draft. I feel like this has been the longest draft season, so I, I can't wait to see what actually happens in a few days. Whew, you're telling us. Ben and I have been doing mock drafts since, what, like <laughs> September, Ben? I mean, I know we work for the draft network, and that's probably, you know, we should expect that to be part of the job, but it does. It feels like when we reach this point of the calendar, you know, less than a, less than two weeks away, everybody's just anticipating let's get to it let's get it let's see where these guys actually go enough talking let's get to the pick so I want to talk about New Orleans because you follow the team very closely and you know, the big story this offseason was with Drew Brees with their quarterback because this is of course somebody who has absolutely changed the face of the franchise over the last man, almost two decades now they've had so much success in New Orleans it just felt like over the last couple of years They've continued to go all in. Hey, as long as we got Breeze, we got to make sure this roster is up to where it needs to be. And I felt like over the last couple of years, New Orleans has absolutely been in a spot to win it all, but they really weren't able to during this winning window. They got close, but they just weren't able to capture that next Super Bowl trophy. Breeze is now gone, decides to finally hang it up. And my question to you is, tell us what the thought process is with this quarterback room, because we've got Jameis Winston, we've got Taysom Hill, and... I feel like I never know exactly what Sean Payton's thinking because he's such an outside-the-box guy. So what's really going on with this quarterback situation? Well, I think last year it seemed to be the season of, of Taysom Hill or the offseason of Taysom Hill. That's all you heard about at this point last year. And I think the, the Saints felt like they needed to see what they've got with him. And it worked out last year, if you want to say worked out, Breeze getting hurt, that he played four games. And I don't think that in my mind, that he proved himself at all. And that's probably why it's now become the offseason of Jameis Winston. So theoretically, these two are going to compete for a spot in camp. But it certainly seems like Winston has the upper hand to win that starting quarterback job this year. And I wouldn't be totally shocked if the Saints pulled some magic and tried to draft a quarterback. But I think that it would be very difficult for them to get any of the the top quarterbacks unless they absolutely love one and are willing to mortgage the future on it. 
So it kind of seems like this year it's probably going to be Jameis Winston as a bridge quarterback. And, and then you see where they go from here. But it's certainly interesting because I've covered this team since 2012, give or take a few years, and I've never gotten to cover a quarterback competition. So I, I'm certainly excited to see how training camp goes. Yeah, I was yeah, going to – hold on, Ben. I just wanted to ask you a, a quick whatever, follow-up. Trev, so, I'm sorry. No rules, I'm guess. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you a quick follow-up about what the faith level might be with Jameis because I covered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for three years with Peter Report during the heart of the Jameis Winston years when, you know, people were still on the high of them drafting him and him coming into his own and then really getting the, the turnovers and people started to turn on him and the fan base and everything. And so – I covered the Jameis Winston roller coaster so much. And of course, he signs a small deal to go to New Orleans. And the thought process is like, oh, he'll get with Sean Payton. He'll get to work with Drew Brees. You know, the mindset will be a little bit different. Even from the little things that you were able to see from Jameis Winston when he was on the field, or maybe just how the organization speaks about Jameis Winston. Do you think that there's a decent amount of faith there? Or do you really feel like, like, like you said, this, this might just be an experiment and it might be over quickly? Well, I think the Saints, like any other organization, think that they can fix the problems of a player. I, I think that kind of thought process goes on through every organization in the league. It's like, right. well, yeah, maybe they couldn't fix them, but I can fix them. Sure. And um, it's probably an overstated thought, but I think because when I watched Jameis in training camp, it was kind of the same thing we've always seen immensely talented has an amazing uh, arm amazing arm strength but yet the decisions it was the same thing we've always seen kind of poor decision maker at times and still though when I came out of training camp I thought that guy is the backup quarterback he is he outplayed Taysom Hill he won the job and it ended up not that way because basically Taysom Hill had already been promised the backup job I think no matter how well Jameis performed but I think maybe they see him as, hey, I, if we can rein him in, we can, we'll can, we be okay. But it makes me wonder, if Jameis is reined in, do you lose something with him? He said this offseason, well, it's okay to be a game manager. And I just thought, yeah, I don't think I've ever thought of Jameis Winston as a, a game manager. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I truly believe they believe that they can fix those issues. But I'm kind of skeptical. But um, we'll see how it goes. Um, I had a thought in my head, and I just totally forgot what I was gonna say. But <laughs> happens with Jameis. You just start having Jameis so many, so many Hall of Famer after Drew Brees. That was the thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know. No, actually, I was gonna say the Saints for two years have been able to win with game manager quarterbacks. You had Teddy Bridgewater come in. The team still won. Uh, was undefeated with him. They still won with Taysom Hill because the roster was so good. Now there are m- much bigger holes in the roster than there were before. But the Saints might be thinking, hey, we don't need the quarterback to do too much. If he can just do what we want him to do in the confines of this box, he he might be fine. But I'm fascinated to see what he does with Sean Payton's offense, to be completely honest. Everybody, I think, knew that the Saints, uh, you know, cap cartwheels were going to be fun this offseason. Uh, They're in uh, as sticky of a spot as any team in the league, and they get through it. They restructure Cam Jordan. They restructure Malcolm Jenkins. They restructure Andrus Pete. Basically everyone, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> make, make a lot of moves. Uh, we obviously have some cuts. Emmanuel Sanders, Quan Alexander, uh, uh, Malcolm Brown. But, okay, we, we are the New York, we're the New Orleans Saints. We always find a way to get under the cap, and we found a way to get under the cap. That – 
you know, the, it, it feels like the Saints can't keep doing what they've been doing, right? We've said this for a while now, but it really feels that way. They love to trade up. And I'm looking at a team right now sitting at 28 with an extra third round pick uh, through the, comp- uh, the compensatory pick process. Do you think that the Saints are going to continue to follow the mold they've set up under Jeff Ireland and their draft approach? Mickey Loomis, we're going to trade up. We're going to get our guys. We're going to continue to try to, to maximize, get starting talent, which felt like it was because of Drew Brees and because of a, a diminishing winning window. Do you think there's still going to be a, a candidate for heavy trade ups to go get their players? Or now that Brees is gone, they're going to take a more moderate. We're going to take a lot of swings approach. We're going to try to fill out this roster with youth. And they're kind of recognizing they're in a rebuilding stage. Philosophy shift or no? I honestly don't think so. I don't think the Saints look ahead to the future as much as everyone else does for them. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't think they're necessarily saying, hey, we can't trade up in this draft because of what might happen next year. I, it's in the back of their mind, I'm sure, that next year salary cap issues could be even worse. But yet, with, all, with the new TV deals, they might be just fine. So the Saints might be doing what they always do and say, hey, we're just going to focus on what can improve the team now and not what's going to improve the team two years in the future. But yeah, I, I would be shocked if they suddenly did a 180 and were trading back to collect picks and, and things like that. I, I think if they target a player they like in, in their cloud, as they like to call it, then they won't have a problem trading up. I would just be surprised if they like somehow trade up to like the top 10 and are throwing away multiple first round picks in the future. Right, right. That would shock me. What's the, what's the cloud thing? That's how they construe their board as a cloud? I th- so whenever they're talking to us, uh, when we're when they've picked a player, we're talking to them um, after the first round or whatever. They say they have players in their cloud. So I think basically there's a group of players that are lumped together. Like uh, when we get to pick number 28, there's you know 10 feasible players we think could be there, and we like them all. And uh, I'm sure within that cloud they're ranked. But I mean, I'm sure every draft, every team does that. Uh, kind of similar to them but it is kind of funny that they call it a cloud they've done that for years hmm they call the tier system the cloud system ben we might have to <laughs> uh we might have to adopt right. this i don't know i just like i just like thinking of like rick spielman with his like super techno 21st century big board that they've got on the flat screen and then cutting to mickey loomis who just got like a nice bluebird sky drawn up on a whiteboard and there's just clouds <laughs> floating around the cloud. a couple names in each one uh, but that's awesome. That's funny. Okay, so all right, we've kind of talked about restructuring a little bit, guys. They have their some outlook. Uh, where are the strengths and weaknesses of this team right now? Yeah, I think the biggest hole is at cornerback. I, I really do. I've had uh, so many debates with people about what they're going to do at corner, and when your best option is Patrick Robinson, who is kind of a failed starter that's not ideal you have to address that and right now they can't address it through free agency because they have six hundred thousand dollars left in cap space so it's got to be through the draft which makes me think that it'll probably be a high priority i mean even sean payton uh, when he spoke to the media this week said it's a it's a must they have they it's that's another thing they do they have must once and must and once and, and when they're talking about players they need to acquire and mm-hmm. cornerback is a must. So that would be my top priority for them in the draft. But uh, they are, there are a few other positions they feasibly could look at. They still need another wide receiver with Sanders gone. I could see them. Tr- 
I don't think tight end would be a top priority, but I could see them kind of looking at tight end. And then uh, one of the priorities in the top next to cornerback is probably pass rusher now that Trey Hendrickson has gone in free agency. So, I mean, there definitely are holes across the board. Linebacker is another one. Um, but, yeah, uh, corner remains number one for me. I'm curious then. I'd like to hear who it is that you're making the pick here at 28 because tough board as we get to the end of round one, it's always just kind of who do you like? Who's the guy that you want to take? And right, corner's a must. There are other positions that could be addressed. It's a tough corner class this year, especially early. And so I'm curious for you, if you were calling the shots at 28 for the New Orleans Saints, who are you taking at this spot and why? Well, I like uh, one of the Georgia cornerbacks, Tyson Campbell. That's right now who I would pick at 28. But I mean, really, with these corners, it's kind of pick your preference. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Stokes is also a potential there, too, I think. It, it's, I think there are a number of good corners. And so when you say, I like this corner, people immediately say, well, why not that corner? <laughs> That's I, true. Yeah. Just <laughs> pick them all. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to pick one. Um, but I think that, I mean, I like, I know that he's not as fast as his teammate, but I like his overall athleticism. Sorry. I can't talk this morning. Um, (laughs) I just think that he could be a potential fit for the saints for a team that needs a corner to probably play pretty quickly. Now, again, you could say, well, is he going to be able to play right away? I don't know. You you really don't know with any of these corners. Sure. Yeah. Um, but unless there's someone surprising on the board at that moment, that would, he would be one of the guys in the cloud, I guess that you could say, Oh, there you go. We, we, we talk a little bit cause corner seems to be the biggest need for the saints. So, I mean, we're, we're definitely on the same page with you there, but the other two positions that I hear a lot with the saints at the back end of round one are wide receiver and then like off ball kind of middle linebacker ish. And I'm I'm wanting to pick your brain. How confident do you think the Saints are right now with those two position groups? Because those are really the only things that at least I could see that taking away from them selecting a corner here at the back end of the first round. Like are they talking about really needing to add a playmaker on offense next to Michael Thomas, losing Emmanuel Sanders, or what's kind of the vibe around both wide receiver and then also linebacker? Well, with the Saints, first of all, they've never been great at drafting linebackers. That's always been a position that they've kind of had to acquire through free agency. So fans are funny when, when you talk about taking a linebacker in the first round, I think they kind of cringe and remember players like Stefan Anthony who didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a few linebackers in the back half of that first round that, you know, people have looked at and maybe you could see the Saints targeting, but I think with the Saints, even though they do have a big hole at linebacker next to Demario Davis, I think that they're in nickel so much that they don't necessarily think, hey, we need to go get a linebacker and fix this position first. I mean, they did draft Zach Bond last year. He didn't really play in his rookie season, but I do think that they feel like he's a possibility to start along with a few other young kind of unheard of guys. And then the other one, Wide receiver, Peyton's an offensive-minded guy, as we all know. I'm sure he would probably be, you know, on the wide receiver train or anything that can uh, improve the offense first. But I think you have to look at the bigger picture. I think it would have to be a special wide receiver still there at 28. And yet, 
it's a need. I thought I was wrong last year. I thought it wasn't a big need. I mean, you, you go into the draft last year, you got Michael Thomas, uh, Jared Cook. You thought you could squeeze one more year out of him. You got Emmanuel Sanders. So you're thinking, wow, they have so you have Alvin Kamara. They have so many playmakers. And yet you kind of saw the cracks in that exposed very quickly. And, and maybe that happens to any team with that many injuries and your star wide receiver injured all year. And yet it kind of feels like, hey, this position could certainly be improved. But I would still put cornerback ahead of receiver. But, I mean, I, I could see them getting a receiver in the second round. Sure. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, nothing would surprise me. Uh, but <laughs> with I, New Orleans, you're right. A tackle still would not surprise me with New Orleans. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yeah, I could really see them going a ton, of, a ton of different ways. It's one of those years where usually at this point I have it – I feel like I have it – pinpointed pretty well the year they drafted Sheldon Rankins everyone kind of knew uh that was possibly the guy last year you knew they needed a center uh so it Cesar Ruiz wasn't a huge surprise with this year it, it just kind of feels murkier and maybe it's because we didn't get a combine there's just less information out yeah. there but I don't know I don't know if other beat writers from other teams feel that way but this is a bigger question than I felt in a long time heading into the draft. Well, I, it's it's always tough to pinpoint exactly what the Saints are doing just because, like I said before, Sean Payton loves to think outside the box so much and they love to do things their way. So, look, if you guys aren't following Catherine already, please go follow her at cat underscore tarot on Twitter. She covers this team for the Athletic, does an incredible job at it, and not just for the draft, but New Orleans, it's going to be a team that you got to pay attention to all year long. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Two secondary players in this episode, the safety Trayvon Merrick going to the Baltimore Ravens and cornerback Tyson Campbell from the University of Georgia going to the New Orleans Saints. Before we get out of here, got to remind everybody about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, NBA, MLB, NHL. It doesn't matter. However you want to put down your money, Bet Online's got you. They've got all the news, the scores, the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code LOCKED ON. That's all caps, one word, LOCKED ON. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Next episode of the Guest Mock Draft, we got Peter Bukowski for the Green Bay Packers, and we've got Joe Marino for the Buffalo Bills. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here. Unlocked on NFL Draft.